This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Tara Carter from Clovis, Mexico. And I'm Lindsay Fitch from Boulder, Colorado. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 28th, 2020, episode 2423. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle ain't as rough as the life in between. And the fence isn't there for you to straddle. And you can't change horses in the middle of your dream. Well, thanks for joining us on the fourth Tuesday of each month. You can always find us on horsesinthemorning.com. Look for Carter Ranch Horse Western Day icon in the middle of the page to find past episodes. So joined here again today with Lindsay, and we're just going to talk a little bit about what we've been up to since last month, most of it which has been navigating how we're going to do our grocery shopping. So... What's it like for you, Lindsay? What does it What does it take for you to go to the grocery store? Uh, one plan. So my <laughs> my last brilliant idea was like I pretty much went with a list of things to do, and um, like our grocery stores are really really great here. Like everybody is amazing. The people that help you, the people that are stocking, like their systems. Like it doesn't, that part doesn't feel that overwhelming. Right. Um, but I was like going through and I think it's, it's, it kind of is a little bit fun for me to see like what is in stock and what is not in stock because it causes you to be more creative with what it is that you're looking for. And I like, I've really liked the lesson that it's offered of like seeing how much there actually is versus feeling what there isn't right yeah so there was like an abundance of all these peppers and I thought oh chili rellenos would be so good to make (laughs) oh it can't be that hard like peppers cheese put them in (laughs) you melt the things like serve up some beans and rice like oh this is gonna be awesome so like just whipping through the grocery store that was literally the thought process in my mind and looked up I think like what kind of cheese to buy and just like all right went went with it but like had not ever made them before never even looked at the recipe never watched the YouTube video on somebody making the recipe like nothing right so then I get home and I'm like okay like let's see how hard this is going to be to hammer it out like thinking oh this is going to be easy and then come to find out it was way more involved (laughs) than what I thought so you know, that was a really comical process. I, I documented a little bit of that on like my Facebook story of like, they got all the ingredients out and put a picture of how to make chili rellenos for the first time. And then my step one was like a next slide or part of the story. And then I was up at the 
arena roping the dummy. It was like, step one, avoid by starting by doing something else important. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. uh, So, yeah, just being (laughs) just being creative, I think. Right. And trying to find trying to find the humor in it and then, you know, using whatever was available to you and then making sure all of it goes to good use. Like that always kind of stresses me out even when we're not in a situation like we are in the world right now is like, I hate vegetables and fruit and different things going to waste. But especially right now, you really want to make sure that it doesn't go to waste. So just being creative and making curries or soups or omelets or whatever it is. So what about you? What does the life in Clovis look like? Well, it's definitely, there's definitely more people at the grocery store now um, than there were before. But I do feel like, I don't know, it's just people feel friendlier. Um, You know, before I was like, we're going to the grocery store. It's this thing. I got to go. I got to get some food. Uh, But I do feel sometimes the same way. Like, I feel this daunting thing about going to the grocery store. Like, oh, I hope, I hope I can get what I need or, you know, I hope it's, I don't know. There's like kind of this cloud that hangs over it. But when I get there, like people are really nice and we're all just sort of grateful to have something at the grocery store when we go there and get our food. And like people are saying hi more than usual, which we're actually further apart than we, I don't know. It's, it's definitely, um, and we're a smaller community, so you would think we would have said hi before, but I don't know. It just, I feel like we may be also deprived for connection that we're acknowledging one another more than we used to. So it's actually a great experience. It just has, um, it just has basically bad media around it. If that makes any sense, like it's kind of made it daunting for unnecessary reasons. So it's cool to hear that it's becoming a positive experience for you too, even though it is daunting to get out the door to do it sometimes. So yeah, I, I've actually really enjoyed that part is that like people are coming together way more and that's been also my experiences. It's just opened up conversations of like people in your neighborhood that don't normally check in with one another are checking in and like, do you need any yeah. eggs? I've, I've got fresh farm, you know, fresh eggs from my friend's farm that I can bring over for you or we're yeah. going to the store. Do you need anything? And just like you said, talking to strangers and returning your cart like I, I came out with. I think two carts the last time I came, but I've also (laughs) been, I've also been making a lot of food for some other people and dropping meals off and doing things like that. And yeah. Um, someone said like, Oh wow. Like you got stocked up. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I really hope this is going to last. Like if I've done my calculations, right, this should last like three weeks and serve anywhere from four to six people and maybe more. And they're like, wow. Like, like, are you helping take care of people? And I've been being helping people have been taking care of me and, you know, just like talking to a stranger and hearing a cool story about something that's going on in their life that, you know, they even said, like, had this not been going on, like, I wouldn't have even bothered to have asked you about your two carts because I wouldn't have wanted to bother you. But I'm really glad that you're doing well and like stay healthy and, you know, wish the same for you. And I've just really... um I always long for that. So it's nice to see more of that in the world at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The, the other thing that we've done that's a bit out of the normal for us is we've taken on some Facebook live stuff, which I thought would be no problem because we do our video and we do all of our sound. And I really care about 
like I, I consider myself pretty good at doing quality video and attaching quality sound. It has been a total disaster. Like Trevor was upside down in one of the videos, sideways on another one. So uh, I like, I just think, oh my gosh, this is so like, no, you know, the one thing you take pride in. No, like it's just been served to me. Uh, but we did another one just yesterday and totally got it right. So I'm pretty happy about that. So learning all kinds of new things during this time. Oh, that's funny. So maybe we ought to give Trevor a call and let's don't talk to him about the Facebook live pieces because he thinks that's just hilarious. Uh, let's just talk to him about the Hackamore. That sounds good. It's time for the bridal up segment where we're currently going through each of the stages of the Vaquero bridal horse tradition, the snaffle, the hackamore, the two rein and the bridal. We're progressing through the series with Trevor Carter and gaining his insight on the form and function of each tool, how to choose the best fit for you and your horse and training tips for using and progressing with each. In the previous episode, we covered the form and function of the hackamore, and today we're going to be asking Trevor what he looks for when selecting a hackamore. So thanks for joining us today, Trevor. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. So today, Trevor, could you talk to us a little bit about, like, take us on a virtual trip of where we go to buy a hackamore, and as we go, like, where do we go, and then start to walk us through, like, if we were at the store or at the trade show booth where they have a series of hackamores lined up, what are we looking at, where do we start, where do we go, how do we pick one? Can you go into that with us? I sure can, Lindsay. So, I'm taking on a little, little trip. The first horse I rode in the hackamore came with hackamore training. He had 30 rides on him, and my dad actually had an old hack that I started riding him with and I thought it was time for me to buy myself a new hackamore. So I'm putting myself in where some of the listeners might be. And I went to school out in West Texas and there's a nice, nice saddle shop out there called Big Ben Saddlery. And I went in there and I bought a hackamore that I thought I needed. And I didn't even know there were different sizes. I didn't know that there were, uh, I, I just saw the a shiny one and I bought it. Because I was ready to send my dad's home and I was ready to use my... <laughs> but what I did is I bought a really big hackamore. I bought a hackamore that measured... It, it's an, it was an inch big, like all the way around in diameter. So it was it was quite heavy. Uh, the kind of says, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it says, it whoa, in capital letters, bold... <laughs> Like it was intense. I didn't know it at the time. My horse moved better. Uh, but in a couple of days, I started to get, you know, a little bit of hair missing. And it was due to my lack of knowledge. So what I'm getting at, Lindsay, is if, if I go to a store, what am I looking at? First of all, a, a good size of hackamore is a 5.8. A 5.8 a hackamore is a really nice size that it's, it's not too small and it's not too big. And so that they come in different sizes, hackamores, like, I, like the one I was telling you about, it's an inch in diameter. And where you measure that, it, it's a piece that goes around under the jaw because some nose bands might be a little bit bigger. The, the part that goes across the nose might be a little bit bigger. So just different styles are out there. So five eighths, I can ride on my Colt. That can be a first introduction hackamore. Or when people want to introduce their older horse, 
to a Hackamore of 5'8 is a really good size. Uh, it's, it's not too strong and it's not too light. So if I go to a store, and that's, that's tricky at the moment, um, you know, obviously the, the scenario that's taking place with everybody, uh, what I what I tell folks, what I've had a lot of success with, is I go to Martin Black's website. So he has the 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 best variety, the most consistent build of Hackamore, and and that would be an easy place to start. Because uh, I know Martin, he, he cares about the quality, and he's got lots of different styles, and uh, the folks that build those. Um, it's always consistent. Whereas if you go to your local patch store or go to another area and or like a trade show, sometimes that quality is going to be a little bit different. So an easy place is to go onto Martin Black's website and go look uh, at all the different styles of hackers. So Lindsay, when we start getting into quality and what to be looking for, if I'm able if I'm able to pick a hackamore up, what is it that I'm looking for? Well, there's an age old uh, tell him that if you can wear the hackamore on your head, like a hat or a visor, <laughs> then it should fit your nose. I know that'll get a few chuckles. I just want to make sure everybody's listening. But with, without the reins on, and I've done it before, and so you're, you're checking the inside area of the hackamore. And from the heel knot to the nose band, if you get any smaller than 10 and a half inches, if it's any smaller than that, it's probably not going to fit uh, an older horse. And some colts, depending on the breed of horse you have, it may not fit around their nose. It might act like a cabison. So I would look for an 11-inch or larger uh, hackamore. That, and I'm measuring from the inside of the nose bent. That's what lays on the horse's nose all the way to the heel. And I know it's hard listening. I don't, it's hard to get a picture of that. Um, but but if you go get a custom hackamore or if you go to a like you said a trade show, uh, those are some of the things that you can ask uh, the individual and say, hey, how big is this hackamore? Not only size, but I want to know the length of it. And so that that might help you on the size, Lindsay. But if if I'm thinking of quality, I'm going to run my hand over it because those rawhide strings that are braided in there sometimes they're not beveled on all four sides. So that beveling takes the edge off, which might create a pretty sharp edge later on if your hackamore dries out. Or, you know, if you go to a water trough, let your horse drink, that hackamore gets wet and then it dries. Those rawhide strands uh, will start to just fade away, and they might create a little bit of a sharp edge. And, and you know, these horses might get a little rub spot on that. So it, the styles of hackamores too uh, it's not just rawhide some hackamores are made with latigo some are made with kangaroo and so get the know and that's where you know if you go to martin black's website he's got all that different kind of style you can get a full hackamore that's all kangaroo um that's really soft that you don't have to worry as much about the rawhide strings uh being too uh strong but the kangaroo and the latigo hackamores are going to be a little bit softer for your horse. So that, that, that's an easy place for me to tell folks to go to um, just because you'll get a consistent product and you get to see all the different sizes. Uh, there's his website. Does that help you out, Lindsay? 
Yeah. And so what are all the sizes? Like you talk about an inch and you talk about five oh. eighths. Are there other sizes too? Like, could you go yes. tell us the scale? <laughs> you, I said, yeah. So starting off, you know, inch three and quarters, that's a pretty strong hackamore. Um, you know, people that are, are well signed into the hackamore use those for certain, you know, instances. Sometimes a horse can get pretty heavy on a hackamore. So going to a bigger hackamore, uh, it has a little more communication than a smaller hackamore. And so the, the three quarter and an inch size, you need to have your horse. As I figured out as a young kid, my horse better know what a hackamore is. Cause it's going to say, hello. <laughs> uh, the five eighths is that in between. Hackamore. So that's going to be a nice starting point. And then you start working your way down. From five eighths, then you go into uh, a three eighths, a half inch, and a quarter. And so the progression that we're talking about on this show, uh, we're trying to transition from a snapple fit all the way to a bridle. So the reason you would go smaller, Lindsay, is to see if your horse is understanding the, the signal concept of the hackamore. And the reason it goes smaller is it's it's got to fit underneath the bridle when you go into the two rein process. So that would be one of the reasons you would go to a smaller hackamore. So if you transition, let's say you ride your horse in a hackamore and I'm going to say a year, you know, that's an easy time frame uh, that I tell folks because you'll find all sorts of different scenarios throughout that year uh, that you and your horse will learn to communicate with. And then it, when it's time to graduate to a smaller hackamore, uh, the reason you would go to a, three-eighths or a half-inch hackamore is so that it fits underneath your bridle. So those of y'all that might be familiar with the, uh, the double bridle in English scenario, you know, you got your snapple underneath. Uh, in the two-rein setup, your hackamore sits underneath your bridle. Uh, but on that side too, Lindsay, with checking out your hackamore, there's different... I call it a bounce in a hackamore. So if you... If you work the hackamore back and forth, some are really stiff, some are really soft and giving. Um, you want to find one that's a little bit in the middle to where it bends when you move, but it takes shape. Uh, so the, the smaller the hackamore, usually those hackamores start becoming a little softer, a little more flimsy is the word I might use. Uh, because you're using that, the smaller hackamore less and you're introducing your bridle range. So that would be another thing to be looking for uh, when you go to purchase a hackamore. The, the, how hard is the hackamore? How much give does it have? And some hackamores, they have an internal core, and, and some don't. Some have a nice rope inside it. The rawhide is braided around. Uh, sometimes people have used like a little metal cable so that it, it doesn't give as much. Um, but again, the braiders, you know, they... They like to think outside the box and try different materials. So you always want to get your hands on it and test that out. What are the kinds of common materials and like, why would you pick one over another after you've like picked them up and had a feel of them? Can you talk a little bit about that? I sure can. And so when I bought my first Akimori, it was a matter of dollars. And I, there were, like I said, a big Ben salary, there were, a few rawhide hackamores. There were some kangaroo hackamores. The kangaroo and the latigo were, were a bit more expensive. 
And so I could afford the rawhide. And so that might be, you know, if it's a price point you want to be looking at, if you go all rawhide, usually that's going to be a little cheaper. And uh, another learning experience that I had is I was riding a, one of my nicer horses and I rode out into a big pasture and I got off of him. That's another horse. And the herd of horses bolted and I pulled the horse's hackamore into his mouth and he chewed it. And he ran off with the other horses and he's running with the herd. You can imagine how happy I am. And so about 20 minutes later, I finally got the herd settled down and he hadn't chewed all the way through my hackamore, but he chewed a significant amount of it off. And so that I want to think about if I'm getting my first time hackamore, I would recommend getting a rawhide hackamore really durable um that hackamore that my horse chewed it still use uh i just got a friendly reminder every time i saw it of how that happened uh, but like i said you can go to a kangaroo a latigo some hackamores are even made out of horse hair so they're hitched so if you think of you know mohair cinches or horse hair cinches or if you've seen the horse hair belts or horse hair head stalls some hackamores are made with horse hair and, and that's it, you'll feel in some of the reins that we use on the hackamores they're they're horse hair or mane hair and so uh you want to think that that's going to be a little prickly on the horse and it's more for refinement than it is function um but that's usually the, the, the type of material they use rawhide kangaroo uh and horse hair and, and some hackamores you'll see they're made with parachute cord. I mean, any braiding material uh, they can be made with. I forget how many. Taking on that horse chewing my hackamore. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how many materials there are and all the different configurations. You know, like how you can have rawhide and kangaroo. I, you know, I always think of the, the hackamore as such an art form, but I forget how how many variables they are. So. One of the things that I've learned from you is when you take the, the bozal, which is the part that you're talking about, like the piece that goes around the nose, mm -hmm. but to actually turn it into a hackamore, you have to add a ha the hanger and the reins. But you're, you're actually pretty particular about the kind of hanger you choose. So can you tell people what you prefer? I sure can. So I like a hanger, and it's just a single piece of leather that goes around the horse's ears and it attaches to the side of the hackamore. And it's a, it's a regular knot that you tie your rope halter with. And the reason I like that, I think it just, it shows more of the horse's head. And I think a good hackamore horse that's soft in it, it's not challenging the hackamore. Uh, you get to see more of the horse's profile. And however, some hackamores have a shorter nose band. And so it makes that hanger fit a little closer to the eye. Uh, so, I get some of those bungee hair ties and I just tie that hanger behind the throat latch. So it stays away. There's different horses and their eyes are set a little differently. Um, but I like that hanger. I know when my horse is in the hackamore stage, I've learned my lesson from that horse chewing my hackamore, uh, that I don't, I, I make sure my horse leads excellent off the halter. He can trot off the halter. I can send him. Uh, if I go to step off a horse, because that hanger is not, is just holding the hackamore. Uh, there's another way to hold the hackamore and, and it resembles a brow band headstock. And what that has is it has, you know, you've got a, a brow band across the horse's 
the front of his ears. Uh, you have the the headpiece that's attached to the hackamore, but then you have it. It's a Theodore knot that is roped underneath the throat latch. So again, you tie it like the halter. And and in the first stage, when I was talking about the tradition of the hackamore, people started, they halter broke their horses in a hackamore. And so this is the headpiece that they would use. And and that was on my dad's uh, first hackamore. And I think that's the only hackamore I've had it on. And I don't think I have anything against my dad. Um, I, I just enjoy having that hanger. I think it looks a really... It represents the horse really, really well. So I challenge myself by, if I'm going to use a hackamore and I have a hanger, I go out of my way to take care of that nice equipment because of all the experiences I had. I I spent my money on it and I ran into some problems. So the hanger always reminds me to to take good care of my equipment and make sure I can help my horses understand it because it's it's a great tool and I, I want to be able to ride it on the next horse. So the, the hangers I, I prefer over uh, the brow band. Okay, so we've got the the part that goes around the nose, the part that it attaches it to their head, and so then you've got to do your yeah. McCarty reins. So tell us yeah. what you look for when you're picking out your McCarty reins. So, like I said, horse hair reins. Some folks uh, they they can the. I'm talking about the reins. The reins can be a little prickly. I've never said any, the folks can be prickly, but you want to have a nice soft feel in your hands because the, like I said, the ho- I live in a dry climate. And so the horse hair, you know, we don't have a lot of humidity. So that hair uh, is spiky. And so my hands are accustomed to it. Um, where I hold my reins, I've, I've been told that you can take a paper bag and set it on fire and you can singe the hairs and that'll make it a little softer. But I try to use horsehair reins. I like the weight of them. Again, Martin Blackie carries them, and we've got all different kinds of sizes. Um, they just have a different texture and a different feel and a different weight uh, than if I just put rope reins on there or if I got parachute reins. But there, there's all different kinds of material and sizes. Um, you know, with all these horses shedding, I worked for a guy up in Idaho and he had trash bags full of horse hair from when they all shedded. And we were able to make like a little, it, it took a lot of work, but we made like a little foot and a half piece of horse hair. And it takes a lot of work to make a horse hair rain. So, um, you know, again, I, I, when I'm riding my horses and nice traditional gear, I want to represent my horse really well. So I prefer the horse hair. Uh, they also have mane hair. They have alpaca, uh, mohair reins, a little softer on the hands. They don't have as much weight as the horse hair. Uh, and then you can run into your parachute cord. The the length of rope you want to have to make a good McCarty line setup is between 22 feet to 28 feet. So if you ride a, a, a bigger size horse, I'm on a horse right now who's 16 too, and he needs a McCarty that's about 28 feet. That's what he's got a long neck. And so when I step off, I want to have a nice lead rope. So uh, depending on the size of your horse, quarter horse tied might fit a 22 inch rein. But if, like I said, if you ride a, a bigger size horse, 24 to 28 would help you out. So, but there's lots of styles and, and, I, and some people that buy horse hair reins, they just ride with gloves. And if you don't want to mess with the horse hair, then mohair and alpaca will do the trick just as well. 
And you've talked a lot about weight. Is there different? And I think you mentioned on Martin's website, there's different sizes and diameter diameters of reins as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? when I pick out my hackamore, if I get a five, eight hackamore, I want to get the rain that is the same size of my hackamore or a size smaller. So when I bought that ginormous hackamore, when I first started, it was an inch around. I put my little, I think I had half inch and they, it was pretty much a lead rope. You know, the, the kind of lead ropes that, you know, I'm sure everybody has felt the nice rope burn on their hand from a lead rope, but it like waxes over. I don't know what nylon. And so I had nylon rope and it was really flimsy and it didn't have any weight to it. And my hackamore just bounced on my horse's head. And, and, and again, I'm looking back right now, talking to y'all about this. I just didn't know anything about it. But if I if, if I'd have put some horsehair reins on it or some reins that had some weight, it would help that hackamore move with the motion of the horse. And so if y'all are riding, next time you ride your horse, look down at your horse's neck and see how much your reins move underneath your horse's neck at a walk, at a trot. And so by getting the correct kind of material, Lindsay, it can help add function to your tool. So if I have some rain, that have a little bit of weight, uh, that's going to help my signaling process. And I found, you know, with, with parachute reins, uh, th- those are good with snaffles. Uh, with hackamore, they're pretty light. And so, like I said, they just, they, they move differently. When they're weighted, the rain stays slack. They don't bounce as much and they move with the motion of the horse. So th- there's all different sizes of range you can get but if you're a general rule if you get a three or sorry if you get a five eight hackamore you want to get a five eight size rain or a size small that'll just help out with the function of the two and do you do like you've talked a little bit about there just like you use why you'd use your paracord reins on your snaffles but not your hackamore is it the same for mm-hmm. some of the materials that you'd use in a hackamore that you wouldn't use on a snaffle like horsehair yeah. for instance or and why you bet and so usually and you know i tell us i ride my colt on a halter for a while and then i transition them to a snaffle and the reason i do that is because usually when they're tied or when we're riding you know, they might reach around and a rain might get in their mouth and they might start chewing on it. So, you know, that early stage where the horse is pretty naive, they need to be pretty mouthy. And, you know, it, you would think the horse hair might discourage <laughs> them chewing on it. Uh, but I try to use, I, try, I don't try to use horse hair reins on my snaffles for that instance because it's so easy for a horse to get their head around and, and get a rain in their mouth and chew up my, and the horse hair is going to be a little more expensive. And, but I try to use uh, nice, a nice heavy rope, like a yacht brake for my snaffles or split reins or the parachute cord for that instance. Because usually when they're in the snaffle bit stage, they're still learning how to tie. Sometimes they don't lead very well. And I just don't want to put my nice horsehair reins on my snaffle bit rig. I, I, however, I'm, as I'm telling you this, I do have a rein set up in my tack room that has a set of horsehair reins on that I don't ride my colts in. I'll ride the horse is a little farther along that I just need to go season in the snaffle. And I know that, that horse is far enough along that more than likely he's not going to, he or she is not going to get those reins in their mouth. So 
that's why I try to use the paracord or a rope rein in that snaffle stage. Uh, it's more about the horses chewing. I'm a little gun shy about my horses chewing on my equipment after my experience with my hackamore, Lindsay. So that's why I choose to not use my horse hair during my snaffle bit stage. <laughs> during the mouthy puppy stage, some way, some real I've got a hackamore setup that has been chewed. And, and that's my guinea pig hackamore. So when folks come out and they want to try a nice five-eighths hackamore, and I, I can keep my eye on them, but I know a couple of my horses have chewed those reins. They've got some electric tape, and they've been uh, saved a couple times. Uh, but that's my go-to when people want to experiment uh, with the hackamore. So, so tell us a little bit. why I choose my reins. <laughs> So tell us, just kind of give us an idea of some of your favorite makers. So like what, who has made some of the hackamores that you have? And is there a certain maker out there that you'd really like to have a hackamore by one day? Ooh, that's a really, really good question. You know, the, the nice thing about Facebook is I, I'm getting to see a lot more people that I didn't know about that braid. Some people that may not be able to get their equipment into a trade show or a tax shop they can just display it on the internet and i don't have that access to me right now but i've always like like i said i got my first couple of hackamores at martin martin black and so uh let's see and then a buddy of mine in australia braid his name is jake schumark i don't know if he takes orders anymore um i've always wanted some from bill black Vince Donnelly makes really, really nice hackamore. I've been lucky enough to find a couple of those. Uh, those are those are higher end. Those are really, really nice, and the the quality is, is exceptional. Um, that's a good question, Tara, because I can't think of everybody's names. But <laughs> I, I have a, a a smaller hackamore by Steve Harris. Uh, he had an article there in the Collective Horseman. He was at a trade show there and at the Snaffle Bit in Reno. Um, I know Brian Newbert used to make quite a few hackamores. I haven't I haven't been able to get one off of him. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't like not having that answer. <laughs> well, a lot of times we just go and we see something, and then you're like, oh yeah. And then sometimes you're lucky enough to find one by somebody you like. So uh, we haven't yep. really. Well, and the, the thing about I was going to say that. The ones that I have, I, I'm not always looking for my next one. I'm, I'm very satisfied with the ones that I have. They've lasted me a long time. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not quite on the, the look right now. So, yeah. But I can get you that information. Right? <laughs> I'm back here. Well, good. Well, thanks for telling us more about the Hackamore Trevor. Uh, forget just what a deep topic this is. Um, it's yeah. so amazing that part of the tradition is, you know, it's been, it's, it's got so much heritage behind it and so many different ways to yeah. do things and meaning behind the choices for them. So thanks for joining us. We're looking forward uh, to next episode where you'll share some tips on what you look for when you are training a horse in the Hackamore. Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, 
bug-busting technology and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug Fly Sheet. Find Amigo Fly Sheets at your local or online retailer, or you can visit horseware.com. That's horseware, H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E dot com. I feel like I said it many times during that interview, but I just forget how many different materials there are and the complexity of something that, you know, it's a hackamore. Oh, no, no, no. You're about to open this topic? Let's talk about the hackamore. Yeah, it's definitely complex. Like, I... It just still feels very elusive, the topic of, like, where do you go? And then how do you know what to buy it? And even... Even then, it just sounds like it just takes a lot of years of experimenting and buying different ones and trying them and knowing knowing why and what you do out of making mistakes as much as having your success, too. Well, and I think it's helpful because also this is an art. And when you start, if you think, okay, I'm going to develop a bridal horse and I'm going to fall in love with this tradition – you start collecting these pieces like hackamores and different bits. You start collecting them as artwork. And so really it becomes, you know, it's just like art. Everybody likes different things. You have to determine and develop your own tastes for it. So I really like that he said, you know, that he shared with us his first experience and the things that went wrong and how those have influenced his future decisions. And so I think it's great that he gave us a starting point. Like if I if I want good gear, this is where I point people to. I point him to Martin because he's got the basics, the rawhide, the hackamore. He'll get you the hanger. You can get reins. And you, and you know you're going to get good quality for the dollar that you spend. So then you can at least start figuring it out from there. So um, versus just, you know, picking up the first one that might be too small or might be crooked or, or what. So I think it it's helpful to have somebody. And say, look, here's the here's the starting point I recommend, but then just know that you get to develop your own tastes and preferences from there, and really the combinations and possibilities are endless. Right. And it's just fascinating too to like understand the craftsmanship that goes into it, right? Of like think when you pick up a pair of horse reins that there's a, literally people that like collect the actual horse hair and then start to like weave it together and do things to make the reins like when you think about the hours of craftsmanship of like what it would take to bevel all four sides of a strand of rawhide like there's a lot of time and a lot of uh energy and sweat and tears that go into all that which makes it even more cool to think that that's the piece that you're riding on your horse and developing and training too yeah yeah that's right we we actually filmed a little video with trevor kind of going over some of these things the quality and what you look for and uh, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but, you know, part of picking out the quality is one so that you get, you know, you purchase quality, but it's really about providing quality to your horse and honoring your horse. So that's a fun and thinking about all the people that put in that effort to giving that type of quality to your horse, I think is really cool. Absolutely. A lot of honor in it, like you said, which is really neat. Yeah. Well, let's take a break and listen to a song from Dan Roberts, and we'll come back with Kim Watts. Well, I hire 
was on to this brand new ranch. It was owned by a bunch of fancy pants, but they did have several high dollar trucks and trailers. Well, there was barns and pens that was under construction, and I was informed by phone I'd receive my instruction in a video arriving in a padded mailer. It said, sort the cows in pen 11, then bring us a tag so we can scan them. And I didn't have a clue, but I took a sack full of them to headquarters. There was a lady at a computer typing in numbers, and the more she typed, the more I felt dumber, and she said, yep, 501's too old. Gotta go back and sort her. <laughs> I replied, I ain't no cowhand, cowhand.com. I don't know where I just landed. Scroll me back to where I'm from, cause I don't need no printout telling me that it's time to wean. Never seen a cow pulled by a machine and this information highway keeps my pony sore and lean i ain't no cowhand.com well my security pass slash photo id opened the gate and picked out a horse for me and you punch in a code and it start an automatic feeder of course, you still had to step over what them cows was downloading, and you did hair analysis with a digital modem, and put a cow up on the screen, it'd tell you which bull's gonna breed her. Well, then they give me this laptop from my saddlebags, and it got dusty out riding drag, and I knew the boss was gonna have my hide. Well, they said, just boot it up, open the windows, something about a mouse and a bunch of menus, so I hauled off and kicked it. I kept the windows closed cause it was freezing outside. I ain't no cowhand, cowhand.com. I don't know where I just landed, scroll me back to where I'm from. Cause I don't need no printout telling me which stall to clean. Never seen a horse shot by a machine. This information highway keeps my pony sore and lean. I ain't no cowhand.com. Well, then they start talking downsizing and linking up. I told them I was heading for the tall and the uncut. They could stick that pentium right in their AOL. There's faxing emails and hazing the web, and they even had a megabyte RAM. That sounds inbred. I reckon those people wouldn't know the difference between a hard drive and a paper trail. I ain't no cowhand, cowhand.com. Don't need no information highway to get back to where I'm from. And I don't need no printout telling me which colt is green. Never seen a bronc. Broke by a machine Besides this little cell phone Just don't fit good in my jeans I ain't no cowhand.com I know HTTP colon backslash backslash All one word, all little letters www.cowhand.com Yep, that's what you get when you try to cross one of them computers with a cowboy. Well, at the start of the month, we actually launched one of our Plan for Progress courses, but we launched it as a challenge with the Stock Course of Texas to allow people who aren't able to go to shows right now 
to be able to keep making progress with their horse, stay in the saddle, you know, where where allowed, so that when shows do open back up, you know, you feel feel like you're ready, you feel like your horse is in shape, and that you've made some progress. So, uh, we opened it up free to Stock Horse of Texas members, Western Horseman subscribers, Quarter Horse News subscribers, and to Horse Radio Network auditors. And one of the participants from the Horse Radio Network auditors is Kim Watts. So we thought it would be fun to ask her to come on because she's actually one of the few dressage riders, but has a Western background. So Kim, tell us a little bit about your experience in the Plan for Progress Challenge. Well, um, I heard it. I want to do it because yes, I miss horse riding so badly. Um, and my background that was from Western horses and that I've been riding dressage since about 1990. So it uh, makes me quite old. Um, <laughs> my horse experience quite old. Uh, you know, it, it was one of those things that I had to challenge and I needed to get the challenge video on the right day. And of course the first challenge to go in, it had been pouring rain. So I, I kept thinking it would get better and finally at the last minute, I had my son go ahead and video in the rain. But, um, it's been going really well. Um, the rope one was very interesting because, like you said, with the dressage background, I'm sure my horse has never had a rope really just purposely swung over his head while asked to go in different directions at different gates. But um, he, uh, you know, he handled it. Um, I think it's what it's, it's shown me is some areas where I was, you know, over and micromanaging my horse. And, um, you know, in each challenge, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to make him more accountable for what he was doing. So it's, it's been helpful and an eye-opener more for me probably than for him. Who just, his personality is like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of one of the ideas behind it is just to, you know, raise, raise a level of awareness. And that's one of the very first challenges was to be able to trot a circle without correction. And Kim actually won an award because she got like an effort award. Kim and another lady sent us their video and like you can see the rain pouring down and so we're like oh my gosh she even she even carried on in the rain and then when we actually went to watch your loping video trevor was like what horse is that and i was like no it's the same horse it's just not soaking wet <laughs> so yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah so so the first challenge you had to do was to trot a circle without correction and then kind of learn some of the things like you say, like maybe you're micromanaging or something like that. And then the second challenge was to be able to lope without correction. But you got a little fancy in that one. What did you do in that one? Well, okay, because this horse is one of those fabulous horses, and I have not even known him years. Um, and I figured I'm at home, I'm in my small arena, and I had my older son videoing for me. They said, okay, just, just, I've never done this, but just watch. So I leaned over, unbuckled his bridle, pulled his bridle off, and asked him to go onto the circle and canter on the circle without his bridle. And he did better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, he did really good. Yeah, so he's like, okay, I don't know why we're doing this, but again, okay, we'll go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could either, this could go really well or really wrong. Exactly. But it figures, you know, the video's good either way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it just depends where you're going to share it next. So, <laughs> so then the so then the next challenge, which you kind of got a jump start on. That, so the next challenge was to be able to swing a rope while you ride a circle. And really, we we put that challenge in there because a lot of times people will do the trot or the lope circle, but they still kind of 
keep their horse on the circle versus allowing their horse to have the responsibility. So you actually tested it sooner by taking the bridle off. But um, when it came time to swing the rope, you kind of had a funny story about trying to find a rope. Because we said, you know, you can use a halter or lead rope or, you know, don't feel like you have to have a ranch rope or anything like that. So tell us a little bit about your your challenges completing the challenge. Well, because I, I said, you know, the deck row with my kids and stuff like that. Of course, we've had ropes around here for years and stuff. And I knew there was uh, one or two around. And one of my son's friends is, was here with his. I know I kept seeing it somewhere. And I couldn't figure out where I saw it. And I looked, it seemed like I looked everywhere through the pack room and various assorted spots. I found it looped up into one of the trees that slopes up to my arena. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there is no way I am dragging myself up in that tree to free the free that rope out of the tree. So, and the kid who I'm sure put it up there was in Texas at the time. So I'm like, oh brother, <laughs> you know, there's no way this this rope's coming out. So I, um, yeah, I had to pull. I pulled a Riata that I used to use in my well, Western days on my Western saddle. I pulled that out and used that instead. I've been using a longer rope, but I realized it. It really didn't show up very well on video. So at least my Riata in the natural braiding, it, it showed up a little bit better. So whenever people submit their video, at the end, we just ask them a couple of questions and we give them an opportunity to put, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share? And so we read this that Kim used a Riata. So here's the dressage rider using a Riata. And for those of you that have not swung a Riata before, for me personally, the first time I tried it, I basically about hung myself. So because it has a whole different life and feel. And so so we're just like, she rides in the rain. She rides bridalist in a dressage saddle and she swings a rope. Oh, not a rope, a riata. So I can't believe that, <laughs> that you actually used a riata. Have, was it, how did you come across the riata? Oh, I, it, it, like I said, I had it hand-braided decades, and I mean decades ago, when I was showing them riding Western horses, and because I always liked it and was hand-braided, I, it was part of my household decor, so I had to unwind it and <laughs> use it from there, so yeah, it, was, it was more decoration at that point, at this point in life, but um, yeah, I took it out to the barn and, and used it there, and there was, trust me, there were parts that would make the blooper real, but it did not make what I said. And then <laughs> yeah. I had, you know, over me, horse's ears, you know, you know, trying to make sure I, you know, everything was all twisted up in a mess. I'm like, oh, this, yeah, no, this is not what we want to show. Yeah. It's, it's not training. It's just, it's just, okay, next. Yeah. And if you, if you've never swung a Riata, like you have no idea. Like I, we went to a show, Trevor has swung Riatas and he has a friend, Jake Schumark, that makes Riatas and incredible, beautiful gear. So we went to this trade show and, uh, we ended up buying some of Jake's Riatas and he made them at the time, you know, like a normal, you know, the natural color, but then he also would dye some strands. So Trevor bought a green, like a green and natural color. And I bought a, a red and natural colored. And I thought this is going to be great. I'm going to like learn how to use a Riata. Anyway, I got so tangled up. I had no, I just had no idea the difference. Anyway, I, uh, I also use mine for decoration now around our Christmas tree since it's got some red in it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so like Trevor it. uses his and then he kind of cringes when he sees what I've done with mine but <laughs> yeah so but they do make good decorations 
So tell us a little bit, Kim, where, where are you from? Um, I am from Southern California. I was born in Southern California and to the state, I haven't quite made it out yet. Not sure where I would go, but <clears throat> with my work and stuff, I'm here. Um, I, when I was a kid, grew up riding in 4-H and um, we used to have a, a show arena that 4-H owned at the time. And it was in a community called Orange Park Acres. So I was a kid then and thought, oh, man, I want to live there when I grow up. And that's where I live now um, because it just seems so cool. Uh, very different for people who have a lot of property and understand having a lot of property. But I live in an area, basically, six miles up the hill from Disneyland. But I have oh. an anchor. And most people in this area, in our community, that's why it's called Orange Park Acres. The idea is that everybody in this area and this community has an acre. Um, some have a little more, but most people have, you know, two would be would be a lot. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just a big community. You know, you go down the hill and then you end up in Old Town Orange with the historic homes and things like that. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're just back in regular kind of, burb, you know, boring suburbia with the... Uh, you know, houses that everybody builds and spends just so much money on that to me, it's ridiculous. But, um, you know, but that's, I've been up here for, oh, 50, 26, 27 years. We used to live in a smaller prop, uh, property, and then we got this place. But uh, then, you know, riding, grew up riding horses. My parents, my mom had horses and rode and and just never really stopped. And so tell us a little bit about your horse, too. How did, how did he come to be your partner? Uh, Dennis. His name is Dennis KVD. Everybody thinks, oh, it's the coolest name, but he came that way, <laughs> and that's what his name is. He is a Dutch warm blood, and for um, non-dressage people, this probably won't make a lot of sense, but he happens to be sired by the same horse that uh, was that sired... Um, Charlotte Desjardins horse he won the Olympics Ooh. and everything with oh, uh, wow. he obviously does not have those gates but that sire Negro definitely stamps that personality on the horses mm -hmm. uh, I got him through a trainer that I ride with about four hours uh, north northeast of me and uh, he had I had bought a, bought a two-year-old from him and she and I when she hit her four-year-old year we were just not doing well together since I do work full time and keep my horse at home and stuff, it just is not a partnership that was working. And um, so I ended up selling her and bought Dennis last May. And uh, it's it's been a great partnership, you know, so far. Obviously, you know, I don't and I trust him to try things and do things and have a good time on, you know, and and uh, it's been really helpful with the lack of things to be able to do around horse wise this year. Yeah. Having a horse, I can say, okay, well, let's do this and let's try that. And one of my goals this year, besides riding dressage um, with him, was to uh, try uh, working equitation. So that was the other reason I wanted to do this challenge, just to expand some of the things that we have to do versus, you know, going on a dressage court and doing things in that I'm very comfortable with. But uh, um, <clears throat> my Western background, I used to do a lot of trail horse obstacle courses, and this one... Uh, kind of what working equitation does too. So it's a combine of the two. So I figured, well, this challenge would help me 
be able to make him accountable to what we're doing and doing other, other things and trying different things, and, you know, on a different type of a course. Oh. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's really about making progress and having your horse be with you as a partner, no matter what it is you choose to do. And like when you first signed up, I said, don't worry uh, if you're a dressage rider or not. Like Trevor, Trevor actually loves dressage. He's ridden with Walter Zettel and um, oh, well, he just thought awesome. we, we, uh, you know, like when the Olympics are on, like Trevor loves to watch dressage and uh, it just, he's has said before, and I think I shared this with you. He's like, I'd love to be able to actually impress a dressage judge with my slide stop, but also impress a cow with my canter pirouette. So he, he, um, <laughs> he really values, you know, just great horses and great horsemanship and high levels of performance that include those things. So who, who in California do you do your working at quotation with? Well, oh. um, I haven't really done it with anybody particularly because the trainer that I ride with, she stables at uh, her barn is with the, this is at the six degrees of separation is owned by the woman who was actually on a horse bigger network with Leah, the halflinger that did all the stuff. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That person owns the barn. Yeah. Yeah. So Susie owns a bunch of RDF basically. Anyway, owns RDF and she, Susie's got a big background. If you ever knew the, uh, clothing company hobby horse mm-hmm. Susie started that as a teenager but anyway she owns this barn sold the sold hobby horse like a year or so ago um and she's the one i was taking a dressage horse and she said yeah you really should try this you haven't looked into it before she said you got a background in western <clears throat> you could do the trail obstacle stuff the rules mm-hmm. are kind of different here's the clinic come to the clinic but so you know lots of intertwining parts yeah, but um, I haven't really had a chance to ride with anybody for the working equitation because the clinic I signed up for, of course, was canceled. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we've done some working equitation stuff here and we rode with Nuno Mattis. He's from Portugal and he now lives in the States with his family and is training Lusitano horses out of Tennessee with a lady who he and her are partnered partnered on a business and um, importing Lusitanos and breeding them for the dressage market. And then also hopefully the working equitation, because it's a new sport. So they're, I think the progress of it from my experience so far in the United States is like, it's a very popular sport and it's just moving at the pace that it's moving as it's growing and um, it is, it's acclimating in the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was really fun to ride to have ridden with and studied with. Cause he at one point was like, I mean, he's been one of like the top competitive riders in all of Europe and Portugal in, in the working yeah, equitation. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot yeah, with Pedro Torres, who's like crazy. the working equitation, like guru. Right. But yeah, it's, it's super fun. It's, it looks a lot, like when you watch it you're like oh that's totally achievable and then you start getting into doing it and you go through the double slalom and you're like and lead change and lead change and lead change and lead change and stay on the pattern and it's it's definitely really challenging it's I always say it's uh basically like the ranch or cow horse like European version of what that is right right yeah because your horse has to be uh, real handy (laughs) 
I had a half year of quarter horse uh, when I was a teenager who would have killed that sport because she was super handy. I mean, she could beat the quarter horses and the trail horse classes in open classes, but she was super handy. And we actually played with her with dressage later on in her life. And yeah, the same thing with flying changes because, you know, doing the, uh, uh, you know, any of the tempi changes and things like that, she was right there. So that's, but, that's so you know, fun. That, that was so many years ago. <laughs> Finding a horse that you can do all those things with. And I, like I said before, if they had had working uh, ranch horse stuff when I was, you know, in the early 90s or 80s, things like that, and was still, you know, well, still looking at riding a little bit of Western horse stuff, I probably would have really gravitated towards that because, you know, I liked doing all the different aspects of those things and, and, and the challenge. But, yeah, you know. it combines well, all of it. Well, cool. Mm-hmm. I just was saying, like, how you say that, Lindsay, about working equitation and cow horse similar. It's just that that high athleticism and versatility of a horse and just, like, the level you have to be at and the level of intensity you have to be at for so long over such a duration of different things. is It's so challenging and so rewarding. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. The thing I like about working at quotation too is that like if it if it can never take off in the United States like it's taken off in Europe and like Spain and Portugal where it's like really come from right is like it would be re- mm-hmm. it's really nice that you as you go up the levels the goal is that you ride everything one handed like your finished right, horse yeah. you ride everything one handed in the open and in the amateur which I really just think that's really, really cool. Your whole thing, your test, your dressage test, the obstacles, the speed, and then uh, obviously the cattle phase, which I don't know that we've had very many shows in the United States yet that have incorporated the fourth phase. No, I, I don't, I haven't seen that at all either. And that yeah. would, that would definitely be a trick for me and my horse because it's not anything you know, we do a little, I did a little team painting many years ago, and, and they will sometimes do team painting. Uh, they were last year, at least, not far from here, and I don't have them watch. But um, otherwise, you just don't have that much experience with cows in this neighborhood. Right. You know, I think that's a real barrier, too. Yeah. yeah, it's a real, because so yeah. few people have access to cows now. This is such a great alternative for somebody who wants that that type of a challenge where you have a specific task to do with your horse and, and still have the opportunity to climb up the levels and continue to become more proficient, but without having the um, disadvantage of having access to cattle. And you can't have just access to two cows. You have to have access to a yeah. number of cows and you have to keep changing the cows because the cows figure it out after a while. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah it's it such a fascinating sport. figure that out yeah yeah it, i didn't know that really, about one-handed that's awesome i actually didn't know that about working equitation and that but it makes sense too because of like what we've been talking about the bridal horse and straight up in the bridal and the ability to do like just kind of thinking back about you know to be able to do ranch work and like you got to be able to ride one-handed to do all your things so that's really cool i didn't realize that all levels at the highest level, do one-handed with working equitation. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny that you said, uh, like, that you have a Negro baby. One of my best friends, she has a Negro and a Negro baby, too. And he's, mm-hmm. um, they also have cow horses. So she does a lot of cow 
stuff with him and the, at their house and on their ranch. And he's super, super, super feely. So it's been really fun for her to like incorporate all of his dressage stuff with the number normal stuff that they do with their cow working and on their ranch and a combination of both. And that's been really, really fun seeing his progression oh, and his be. progress with that. Now, I wonder his, if his personality, because all the Negros that I have seen have that, that definite personality stamp where they're just, they're just okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm going to go down the road, I'm going to listen to you, we're going to try, I'll make my best effort, you know, I'll make an effort, and the level you put into it is about the level I'll put into it. <laughs> but, you know, it just doesn't have just a really good kind of a trying personality. And and it's like, oh, what a, what a nice change compared to my the young horse I was starting <clears throat> the mare I had before I got her successfully all the way through I won and then just decided that for her own you know she was only 12 when I sold her to me I won but for her own physicality and a few issues I knew with one of her stifles that you know I just can't push that horse to the Grand Prix um but Piaf and Passage would kill her but um you know, I just needed a different challenge since I've gone all the way through. I won. My next step would just be getting my medal and those scores, but that doesn't happen in my lifetime. I don't really care that much, but I just need different <laughs> challenges. And that's what it comes down to all the different challenges. That's awesome. You know, I'm having fun with my horse. I love that. You know, I mean, I might get a gold medal or I might not. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> just to have that goal. The horse really doesn't care. My horse, the horse doesn't care. My family doesn't care. My job doesn't give me more metal, more money for riding to yeah. cars, you know, <laughs> or watch. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, awesome. Oh, I'm so glad to learn more about your working equitation goals, too. So thank you for sharing that. Well, like I said, if I ever get out again, you know, <laughs> you know if, you guys, if you guys ever do like, the thing like you did with Jen last year, I thought, oh, God, I would have loved to have done that. It just financially was not a good spot for me then, but uh, that would have been a fun thing to do. Yeah. So, But I didn't have a horse at that time, so I think it was, was before, when, did, when was it? Cause I think it was before I got Dennis, and I certainly wouldn't have taken a horse I'd only had with me for a month or so. That point, yeah. anyhow. It was two so, years ago, right? Oh, I think it, it, I think oh, it was gosh. two years. Okay, yeah, no. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still had Jameson, but she was, she was too young. But um, yeah, that would be a that that would be something really fun to do again. Well, well, you're always welcome, and we'll have to talk about doing another another auditor round. That would be fun. Well, we normally like to do a little segment called "In the Industry" and "Congrats" and "Coming Up," but uh, thanks to COVID, that's going to take a little bit of a different direction this time. So, Lindsay, tell us what you've been doing to stay safe and sane. Uh, well, we've just been staying home and doing a lot of stuff here on on my dad's property, and he's still so they consider veterinary medicines uh, an essential. Uh, they consider veterinary medicine part of the essential workforce, so he's still doing routine calls and safe distancing and things like that. Um, so he's been doing minimal work, but some, and then. Here we've just been doing a lot of projects on his farm and riding and um, playing with our animals. Like we have, I have a couple of really funny cats that are kind of like dogs and follow the dog with us everywhere we go, and they keep us pretty entertained. And then 
uh, just like lots of little projects, which are always interesting to me because I kind of like looking at whatever projects in front of you, kind of like what is the lesson that it's offering you, whether, you know, that's something with your horses or I've been trying to like learn how to make different recipes and bake some different cakes. And it's just been really comical, the things that I have encountered (laughs) because, you know, like following the directions exact because I have no idea what I'm doing, what I'm making, and then like still overflow the cake pan and then like (laughs) set the fire alarm off. And, you know, it's just created a lot of like funny humor in the lessons of trying to do things that I probably would not normally take a lot of time to do when things are full tilt ahead, when the world's spinning round and round. And um, yeah, so it's just kind of funny looking at all those things as like little life lessons and what they're reflecting back to you or, uh, you know, what they're teaching you and just finding the humor in it (laughs) is really the thing that's kind of helped me stay the most sane. What about you guys? Well, we've been, uh, Trevor's been keeping at it with horses and, uh, we've, I think last time we talked, we were possibly going to be homeschooling for a portion of the time, but that is officially happening all the time now. Uh, so when you were thinking about cooking, I was like, wow, I feel like my cooking style has changed a lot and the kids love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but they particularly love Uncrustables. Mm -hmm. So like when it would take time to pack their lunch to go to school, I would pack them with Uncrustables and they like always, that's what they wanted all the time. So now I'm eating them a lot too (laughs) because (laughs) we're in school and having lunch (laughs) with what they want. So uh, yeah, then one of our friends, I told her about Uncrustables and now, you know, she's having them. So I don't know. I feel like we've spread Uncrustables uh, a little bit. <laughs> they make the best, like if they, cause they fit in your saddlebag really well, if you go for like a long ride or anything like that. And when I like have gone on the horse drive before, um, who like you've previously interviewed Sarah Bishop and her family, like that's yeah. always my favorite go-to grab sack, like lunch for my saddlebag when we're out gathering is the Uncrustables. Yeah. So, they're so they, make good. For, they're- they make good riding food too. <laughs> They do. They're perfect. Like we'll just grab a bunch out of the freezer and we'll stick them on the dash as we drive out to check cattle. And then by the time you get there, they're thawed and then it's lunchtime and they're just, yeah, I don't know. They're great. So, so yeah, we, <laughs> we've been doing some homeschool and the weather's starting to turn nice and we've had a couple babies. So, um, yeah, it just, it's feeling like spring it, again, social distancing hasn't changed a whole lot for us, uh, which at the moment count our blessings for that. So uh, we were able to open up the plan for progress challenge, like what we talked with, with Jen about, or with Kim about, and that's been really great. Uh, we've had over 300 people join us to do that. And we're actually working on, um, another challenge that's coming up, which we call hope is not canceled. Uh, so there'll be more information about that next week, but check that out. It's a great way to join in, do some not tying while you're at home practice, and support some local equine welfare organizations. So we're setting up as a fundraiser to help contribute to the industry. When all this happened, we thought, you know, what what are some ways that we can use what we already have to be able to support the equine industry when all this is going on? Um, so, yeah. And I guess that kind of fits in with the congrats and coming up uh, because we've had, a, we've announced five to five to 10 winners every week through the challenge that we've been doing with Stock Course of Texas. Um, 
Western Horseman has supported it and supported it, sent some prizes for some other organ from the people who are participating in it. And Classic Equine has sent some equipment. People are able to win like protection and stuff like that. And uh, so it's been great. And it just kind of leads me to I don't know if people have seen the video of Classic Equine where you know they make saddles and all kinds of products, but they altered their production to be able to create masks. So it's just really amazing to me even though things have changed in the horse world, it's so inspiring too to see how people are saying, look, what can we do with what we have to keep us connected, to keep us together, to keep us moving forward when we feel stagnant? Well, that's about it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to get a hold of Lindsay or myself, you can always find out my contact information at carterranchhorse.com or to get a hold of Lindsay, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and use the contact button. Find the links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can also follow along Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app in the iPhone and the Android. Go to our app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also listen on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Speaking of iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews help others find the shows. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Horseware.